this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Go with me to the book of Acts chapter 9. You guys ought to be ready to go. I got you an extra hour of sleep last night, so man, you guys better be fired up and ready to go. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. I've entitled this a little bit, What's Your Name? What's Your Name? And, you know, when you, when you look at the Bible, a person's name would reveal their nature. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about just real briefly. When we talk about Father God, He's known as Yahweh. He's known as El Shaddai, the All-Sufficient One. He's known as Jehovah. Now, when we talk about Jehovah... There's a lot of characteristics to the name Jehovah which reveals his nature. Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Jehovah Shalom is peace. Uh, Jehovah Sidkenu is righteousness. Jehovah Nisi is our victory. Uh, Jehovah Rapha is the healer. So every one of those guys begin to give you an insight of just who Father God is, who his nature is. Now in saying that in, in Philippians 2, uh, Father God said that I've highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name. In Jesus' name reveals his nature. Now let me tell you a, bit, a little bit, just briefly here about some of Jesus' name. He's called the Prince of Peace. His nature is that of peace. He's also called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So once again, you see over and over throughout the Bible that names reveal people's nature. And once people's nature starts moving, it will reveal their purpose. I want to talk to you about that a little bit here today, so get ready. We're going to go all over the Bible to a bunch of different passages. Begin with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Now, right there is what I would call an encounter of a God kind. And he's strolling on this road, and all of a sudden, man, there is this light bright shining upon him. Verse 4, Then he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And it's interesting that he responded and said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord responded back and said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What that means, guys, is your resistance is useless. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Now, can you imagine this, this setting here? I mean, this was literally a God encounter, not only for Saul, but all these people with him. Now, you may ask, do you believe God still does that to this day? I do believe God still encounters men. And one of the ways we can show you this here biblically is when this took place here on the road to Damascus with Saul, this was after Jesus had died after he rose, and after he ascended to heaven. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but on this occasion right here, he has an encounter with this man named Saul. You begin to see right here that God, he still does the things very similar to this day. 
Now, to understand a little bit more about Saul, go with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And as you turn here, where we're at in in time is this is 13 years after God had done this to Saul on the road to Damascus. 13 years later. Verse number 1, it talks about all these different men that that are mentioned here. I want to start in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for what? For the work to which I have called them. Now here Saul comes back up right here, and they're being said to, to pray for him that he'll separate him to the calling, him and this man named Barnabas. Same chapter, verse number 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Now the reason I read that passage right there, this is the first reference that Saul's name was changed to Paul. This is the first reference that I can find anywhere in Acts, right here, that this is what took place. Throughout history, guys, you see men and women in the Bible that their names were changed. Now, in this passage here, I'm not sure if God changed his name, if his friends or the other disciples did, but God throughout the Bible changed people's name. You say, well, tell me a little bit. Well, in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Abram. Abram's name meant father. God said to him, I'm going to change your name from Abram, father, to Abraham. Abraham meant father of the multitudes or father of many nations. So when God spoke that over Abraham, that became his nature. He had a wife named Sarai. Sarai meant mother, singular. When he changed her name to Sarah, Sarah meant mother of the multitudes or mother of many nations. This is what God spoke. There was a man named Jacob. His uh, name was changed to Israel. Jacob's name meant manipulator. Israel represented covenant. So when God said to him, your name will be Israel, he was saying, your name will establish the covenant. Now we can go back into the New Testament. There was a man named Simon. His name meant unstable. God changed his name to Peter, which meant rock. So over and over, you can begin to see in the Bible how God began to change people's name. And when He changes your name, He changes your nature. Now go back with me, same chapter, verse 2. And I read that for a a purpose here. Look at this. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. Now we saw where Saul's name was changed from Saul to Paul. But Barnabas, that was not his original name. His original name was Josias. You know what Barnabas meant? It meant son of encouragement. So when the disciples changed his name to Barnabas, you know what they were saying? If encouragement had a son, it would be you. Now, just a little thought here for a second. What if your personal friends, the ones who really knew you good, had the opportunity to rename you according to your character and your nature, what do you think they would rename you? Would it be son of joy, son of peace, son of stupid? No, we better not say that. See, once again, our nature comes right in line with our name. 
Now, I want you to go with me to Revelations chapter 2. We're coming back to Acts. We're going to be in Acts a bunch. Go with me, though, to Revelations chapter number 2. So as you're turning there, you may have this thought right now. If I wanted my name to be different, could, could a different name within me, could it change who I really am? I believe biblically so. Let me explain. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, it says in Romans 4.17 that God calls those things that be not as though they are. So here's this guy named Abram. And when, he's, when he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, you know how many kids Abraham had? Zero. But ultimately, Abraham became known as the father of many nations. And so what happened was every time someone would say, Abraham, they were actually saying, father of many nations. So if there's things in your life that you would like to change about yourself, start saying what the Bible says about you. I am who he says I am. This is big. As we're here in Revelations chapter 2, how many of you knew this, that when you got saved or got born again, God gave you a new name? How many of you knew that? Well, you're fixing to find out that. Revelations 2, verse 17. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you part of the churches? Well, how I become part of the churches, I give my heart to Jesus. And when you give your heart to Jesus, you become a part of the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus himself said, The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. You know who the church is? Us. Me and you. Now, Jesus paid a huge price for the church, guys. It's very important that you be careful what you say against the church. Do you know the Bible specifically relates the church to as the bride of Christ? I don't know about you, but I got a bride. And I don't take very kindly when people start knocking her. Well, think about how Jesus is. When people start yakking against the church, man, you're, you're treading on something that's not good. Now, you're going to see several instances in here where we talk about the church. So keep reading. He who is in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. To him who overcomes. Now, when he talks about the hidden manna there, the hidden manna is in reference that when the Israelites exodus Egypt and they were going to the promised land, how did Father God feed them? Every night he would rain down manna on them. So part of the hidden manna that he's wanting to give to the ones that overcome, guess what that is? That's his covenant. He made a covenant with the Israelites and he said, listen, boys, I'm going to take care of you. It's the same to me and you. But it only happens to, to those who overcome. Now, some of you may think, what if I don't overcome? Well, listen, not one of us in this room is going to overcome by our own works. Not one of us in this room is going to overcome by how great we are. The only way we overcome is the blood of Jesus and his grace. So when I start understanding Man, Jesus has graced me. His blood has changed me. His blood has washed me, guys. I'm an overcomer. Where's that found? Revelations 12, 11 says, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So you're an overcomer, and when you overcome, He's going to put His covenant on you. Now let's look at the last part of verse 17. And I will give Him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, 
which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, think back even about the guy named Abraham. When God said, listen, buddy, I want to change your name, he didn't have to allow that to happen. He could have very easily said, oh, whoa, 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 I don't receive that. I'm not going to listen to that. Now, here's a problem sometimes. When God has given us a new name, many times we look at our old name. What's our old name? Well, think about the things that defined you before you got born again. And ultimately, with every one of us in here, we have things in our life that we're not real happy about. We're probably shamed by it. And the devil knows what those are. So you know what the devil does? He comes back and he starts yakking at you. And you know what he says? You're a loser. You're a failure. You're an adulterer. You're a liar. You're a thief. And the list goes on and on. The problem we run into as believers is when I start listening to that voice instead of who God says I am. And when I start listening to who God says I am, guess what takes place? There becomes a change in my nature. There becomes a change in my heart. How many of you have witnessed in your own life, since you've gotten born again, there's some difference in you? There's huge difference in me, guys. And before I got born again, I didn't have a problem cubing you, dicing you, cutting you, slicing you with my tongue. It bothered me a bit. I'd rip you up and down, didn't think nothing about it. But once I gave my heart to Jesus, there became a new nature in me. I began to look and think, man, I act differently. I talk differently. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. This will identify some of my past growing up. I can still go into restaurants in Clovis with my older brother who's a pastor also. People will come into those restaurants and they'll see us. And you know what they'll say? If God can change you two, he can change anybody. And I kind of blink and I think, dang, were we that bad? And my wife would say, yes, they were. What are you saying? See, when I got born again, I started allowing the blood of Jesus to cleanse me. And it comes to this, I start believing and receiving who he says I am. And when I start believing that, guys, something starts changing. Now go back with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. Chapter 8. Think about in certain people's life, like Peter's. Remember before he gave his heart to Jesus, his name was Simon. What happened? He was unstable. But when God changed his name, man, he became a rock. It's the same for each one of us in here. When you start understanding who God says you are, and it's very important that every one of us in here understand who God says we are. Very important. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time a great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now I'm getting back to this man named Saul. This was before he was Paul. This was uh, in his, his days before he really got born again. Let me tell you what the word Saul or the name Saul means. The name Saul, it meant he demanded death 
That's what the name Saul means. He demanded death. Many believe that was his Hebrew name. And so guess what? His name meant demanded death. And so what did he do? He, he began to act on that nature. But he gets his name changed to Paul. Many believe Paul became his Gentile name. Listen what the name Paul means. Little or small. Now some people believed it was because of his stature. He was little or small inside. That may be true. But I believe it was more than that. I believe Paul was little or small in his own eyes because of his humility. Where do I get that from? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul said this, I am the least of all the disciples. I am the least of all the disciples. So in his eyes, he was smaller than the rest of them. But when he said that, guys, that was untrue. Why do I say that? Actually, Paul was the greatest of all the disciples. There's 27 books in the New Testament. Paul wrote at least 13 of them. At least 13 of them, maybe more. He was the greatest. Now think just a second how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God says this, He who is least in the kingdom is the greatest. He who's the most humble, who's the least in that area, becomes the greatest. But he who thinks he's the greatest is the least. And so you begin to catch kind of what, what Paul's mind was, what his thought was today when he said that. Now, really, when you look at the theology that the church uses today, the majority of it comes from Paul's writing, which is this, salvation because of grace. This is what this one man said. Now turn with me to Acts 26. I've got to show you some more things here. Acts 26. As you're turning here, remember, you get born again, God will come on the inside of you, and then God will change your nature. Once God changes your nature, He wants to change your purpose. Now let me begin reading here in verse 14, and I'm going to tell you where we're at once we get going. Acts 26, 14. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. This is exactly what we read earlier in Acts 9. This time he is saying this to a man named King Agrippi. This is five years before Paul dies. So he's... he's retelling the story to this king, what happened on the road to Damascus. Verse 15. So he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, verses 16, 17, and 18 that we're fixing to read, these weren't referenced at all in Acts 9. This time, he references them. Listen what he says here. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen, of the things which I will reveal to you. So look what happens here. His name is changed from Saul to Paul. And not only is his name changed, then Paul starts taking on a different nature. And as his nature is revealed, his purpose is revealed. What was his purpose? To be a minister and to, a wit to be a witness. Verse 17, 
I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So when I read what he says right here, when you fulfill your purpose, you will be fulfilled. Many times in our life, we don't understand what our purpose is, so we go through life and we never feel fulfilled. What's interesting about this passage right here is all this was spoken over the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy 1.15, you know what the Apostle Paul said about himself? He said, I am the chief sinner. I am the, you know what he's saying? There hadn't been a better sinner than me. Now, some of us in this room, we may debate him on that, like me. But the reason I highlight this is I want you to see something today. I don't care how bad of a sinner you are or have been. When Jesus comes into people's heart, he'll change your nature. And when he changes your nature, he'll change your purpose. I don't care who you are. This ought to put hope in many of us in this room right here to understand, man, if he would do this in this guy named Paul, what about me? Now, I, I can stand before you today and tell you this. I was in all kinds of sin growing up. In my wildest dreams as a 15 to 20-year-old, I would have never said this would be my purpose in life. If you would have told me that many years ago when I was that age, I would have said, you are crazy. You've been smoking too much crack. That'll never happen. But in my life, guess what happened? I give my heart to Jesus, and Jesus starts changing my nature. And when he starts changing my nature, all of a sudden, my purpose is being fulfilled. He wants to do that the same for every one of us. I don't care who you are in this room. Back to Acts chapter 9, where we started. Back to Acts 9. Now, as you're turning to Acts 9, this will be for some of you who are theologians or teachers. I've never found in Scripture, other than the Apostle Paul, that he referred to the, the church as the body of Christ. Out of all the writers in the New Testament, he's the only one that I can find. Now, if you find that, I want to see it, okay? What does it mean that we are the body of Christ? He's telling us that me and you are to be the body of Christ. We're to be his hands. We're to be his feet. And guess what in here today? Some of you may be an ear. Some of you may be a pinky. Some may be an arm. Some may be a leg. But guess what? We're all called to be the body of Christ. Every one of us in this room, you are a piece of the puzzle. He looks for you. He longs for you. He wants to use you. Okay? Now, back to Acts 9. This is where we started. I want you to see something here today. Verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly light shone around from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Notice right there in verse 4, who said that? Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But when I read in verse 1 of that chapter, he'd been persecuting the disciples. When I read in verse 2, he was, he was persecuting men and women. So in actuality, when Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Who was he really persecuting? People, believers. Once again, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 was one of the references that Jesus said, you are the body of Christ through the Apostle Paul. You and me are the body of Christ. Now let me give you some insight on where I'm going with this. When Jesus walked on the face of the earth, did he have a body? Did he have flesh? Did he have blood? Yes, he did. When Jesus was on this earth, did he walk with his feet and take the gospel to people? He did. Did he speak the truth to people? He did. Did he lay hands on the sick? He did. So here's the question. Does Jesus still do that to this day? I believe he does. One last scripture. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Woo, let this get a hold of you today. This will bless you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Or do you not know... That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That's very interesting to me when the Apostle Paul said, your what is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He said, your body, my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you know what I begin to see right here? Jesus says, I want to use you. I want you to use your feet to go to your neighbor. I want you to use your mouth to witness to them. I want you as believers, as the church, to lay hands on the sick and watch what I'll do. So guess what happened? When Jesus left the earth, he said, I'm going to get people that will receive me as Lord and Savior in my life. And guess what will ultimately happen? I'll have millions of people around the world that have become ministers for me. Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use me, but where do we go back to? First of all, i got to receive Jesus. When I receive Jesus, understand this, guys. I become an overcomer. His blood washes me. His blood cleanses me. You know, I've had people ask me this. How have you gone 30 plus years in your life and served Jesus like you do? How do you have a compassion for Jesus like you do? Let me tell you this. I've never lost the fact for what he did for me. I've never left that, guys. When I've had rough days, sad days, mad days, bad days, I still think back. He died for me. There was a man who died for me and took all my sins and washed me. And listen, I have no desire to go back to that old man. And so when I gave my heart to Jesus, guys, I sold out. I sold out. And many of you are in the same boat as I was. As a sinner, you were a good sinner. 
I believe this in my own heart, guys. When I gave Jesus my heart that day, the devil looked at the demons and said, we lost a good man today. And I say that and say this, as bad as I was for the devil, that's how much more I'm going to go for Jesus. I'm going to live for him unlike any other thing in my life, day by day by day. But the first key is this. You've got to give your heart to Jesus. Number two, you've got to believe and receive that you are who he says you are. You're an overcomer, but pastor, I don't feel like it. There's a lot of days I don't feel like it. There's a lot of days I wake up and I feel, sure don't feel saved. There's a lot of days I don't want to come to church, but my wife tells you you have to. You're the preacher. You know what I found out? I don't live by my flesh. i got to step out by faith. And this is important for ones in here today. You've got to start finding out what God says you are and start saying that about yourself. Now, many of you in this room, you've had one, maybe a parent, that said to you, loser, no good, you'll never amount to anything. But God didn't say that. God didn't say that. Maybe you came from a family where you had parents that spoke good things over you. As good as they spoke over you, it isn't even in comparison to what God has spoken over every one of us. He says, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's, that's a man of God. That's a great daddy. That's a healer. That's someone that's compassionate. That's someone that's honoring. That's someone that's humble. And some of you in here today... You've never picked up on the name that God's given you. You've got to get in the Bible and start finding that. And number two, there's some of us in this room that have had an identity crisis. Where you look and say, I don't know where I'm at in life. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm going to tell you, God wants to breathe on you today. He wants to start speaking into your ear. And He wants to start telling you, this is who you are. And guess how it shows up? Most of the time in our life, your nature will start showing up. How many of you have ever been around someone you see their nature? There's two men in my life that I knew for years. These two guys were some of the most loving men I've ever been around in my life. I mean, they were lovers. They were, they were so tender, and it wasn't a wimpy love either. I mean, it was a sincere love. I label both of them the apostles of love. I believe your nature will start coming out, and people will say, that's a man of compassion. That's a man of integrity. That is an encourager. Why do you think he called those ones the sons of thunder? Because that was their nature. He wants to identify that with me and you. So where are you at today? Some of you may not like the way your nature is. Give your heart to Jesus. Then begin to believe the Word of God and begin to receive it. And I wear out Philippians 4.13, guys. I can because he said I can I can because he says I am. I'm an overcomer. That old man. And, and throughout my life, guys, people will try to bring up my past, even friends, old friends. Uh-uh. That's not who I am. I'm a man of God. But you don't cuss anymore. I'm a man of God. You don't do this. I'm a man of God. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.